This is Corolla Digital. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves too much food at Thanksgiving. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And yes, again, that music makes me so happy. Colonel Jeff and I were tired at the end of our prep time today. We were tired halfway in the middle of the prep time. And you know what? Sometimes we actually had to turn the air conditioning on in the studio here because you know how it gets in places in your bedroom or in your office or anything at all. When it starts touching up around the 74, 75 area and then into the 81, 82 area, then someone with half a brain, and that's all we have around here, someone with half a brain says, Hey, how about we turn the air conditioning on? And you know what? Everything that went, it went well, everything went fine. But boy, again, that music puts a spring in your step. I'm very grateful to those musicians. And of course, that's, uh, as always, that's the Brad Hart Orchestra and the Jennifer Allen Dancers featuring boy tenor Gary Ryan asking the musical question... If beans really are a musical fruit, how come you never hear about anyone being a virtuoso? Well, there's so much to say on that. Number one, Gary, you do hear about people being virtuosos at that, but I'll come back to that. Let's put that aside. Let's stuff that in our pants for just a minute, and then I'm going to come back to it. First of all, the Brad Hart Orchestra, Brad Hart is a good friend. We went to school together. Uh, we were at college together. He's a great guy with a great wife, great family. He's just, he's a terrific guy, and he sent in a terrific picture of him with a dog, his dog. But I just always liked the guy, and uh, he and I both used to drink too much, and uh, only one of us... <laughs> Only one of us was known for crawling under someone's dining room table at uh, at friends' homes for Thanksgiving or something. And, uh, well, taking a nap there or, or playing with someone's shoes. And I'll give you a hint. It wasn't me. In any case, I love the guy, and he loves me. It was just terrific to see his, uh, his mug right up there again. So that's the Brad Hart Orchestra. Wishing you well, Brad, and uh, boy, and, and to everyone in your family, and how, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and the Jennifer Allen Dancers. Jennifer Allen was nice enough to write in when I said, come on, let's hear something about Macintosh apples, and she wrote into our Facebook page saying, hey, Larry, you know what? You're right, Macintosh are terrific. She lives in my general area, that is, in the San Fernando Valley, and... Her Ralph's supermarket that she went to is a couple miles north of where we are. 
sound like an explorer when I say it that way, but they're a couple of miles north, and she said, yes, I took them home, and you know what? I hadn't had a Macintosh in a long while, and our Ralphs is the same as yours. They just don't have them, and I picked up a few, and I had one when I got home, and you know what? You're right. They're terrific. That Ralph's Macintosh apple was good. So thanks, Jennifer Allen. And now we get back to boy tenor Gary Ryan, who was wondering, if beans really are a musical fruit, how come you never hear about anyone being a virtuoso? You do all the time, Gary. That's where you're wrong. Sometimes on these musical questions I say, you know what, terrific question, I'm not sure, or terrific question, hey, maybe it's this. But I can tell you, Gary, there are people who are virtuosos, who build around their lives, their whole lives, around being a virtuoso. There are some who, in effect, tell you about it, one way or the other. My dad, God bless him, was someone who was a brilliant man, brilliant lawyer. He was just so good at everything and and just a smart guy. And boy, his mother's advice to my mother, my father's wife, on their wedding day when uh, the mother-in-law and the mother are supposed to give wedding advice to the bride. And my father's mother's advice to his bride, my mother, was don't let the noises he makes scare you and the sounds he makes. And my mom didn't know what she was talking about, but she found out, and we all found out. My dad, God bless him, was, well, he was a pro. He was a virtuoso. And I'll tell you what, when we went to motels or hotels over the years with my sister and me and mom and dad, and we would get into that hotel room. It was always two beds, two double beds, and my sister and I would sleep in one, and mom and dad would sleep in the other. And I am here to tell you folks that all night long, in case a truck backfired and you couldn't hear that, let me repeat it, all night long, my daddy would cut loose and, well... It was not a smooth night's sleep. No, now we didn't care at all because we used to laugh. We thought it was kind of fun. We were kids, so we thought anything like that was funny. And my daddy, God bless him, was was someone you would write home about. And it wouldn't be a happy letter. He was the sweetest guy in the world, but he could he could tell you something about what a lower intestine was. In any case, Gary... He was a virtuoso, and plus, I told you once, I'm going to tell you again now, about the greatest virtuoso, wink, wink, in quotes, I ever met, was the great Leslie Nielsen, who has passed on since. It's been a couple of years now. And boy, a great actor in serious roles. And he was, I'm here to tell you, he was also, as you know, a great comedic actor, too. All those movies. Good Lord, where he's playing in the police squad. Uh, Lieutenant Frank Drebin, wasn't it? And holy mackerel. Oh, and the great George Kennedy was in those. So many terrific actors they had. But I'm here to tell you that and uh, 
I was on the Letterman show with Leslie Nielsen, and my parents came with me that day. This it was taping in New York, and uh, I grew up on Long Island. My folks still lived there, and uh, so I was getting ready for the show. There's makeup and there's wardrobe. They have to check all sorts of things, and I saw. Well, I saw Leslie Nielsen standing there chatting and and smiling with someone from the show there. And I went over with my parents to say hi, just to, you know, just to say, Mr. Nielsen, I have to tell you, I'm thrilled to be on the show here with you. I'm uh, Larry Miller, and uh, and I'm a comedian, and I'm an actor. And, and I started to do that. And here's something I didn't know about Leslie Nielsen, but just learned that day. And he was proud of this, too. Leslie Nielsen always carried with him, always, a little, well, there's no other phrase for it, <laughs> to say the word, it was a little fart machine. He would make a noise. It was it was made out of plastic. It could fit right in your hand, and it ought to, by the way. It ought to fit right in your hand. It, it shouldn't be anything where you have to wear it, well, you know, like deep sea diving gear, you know, taped onto the back. But he kept it in his hand, and he would keep his hands clasped in front of him. And he always, in a suit, looking so official, and he loved, loved to be funny, to make funny things. He would put on the Secretary of State look and the serious expression and as if he was really that. And then every so often, about every 15 seconds, he would squeeze this. You couldn't see him do it. He would squeeze this little plastic thing and it made noises. Folks, it was exactly as you would think it would be. And the four, six, nine different kinds it could be. And he was an expert. He was a virtuoso. And I walked over with my parents and he, folks, he was so good at this. He loved doing this on every movie set, on every TV set, he would sit there and talk, and he said, I said, hello, and these are my parents who just came in, and uh, he said something, Larry, it's a pleasure, and he said something very nice to me about what I do, and then he said to my parents, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Miller, I have to tell you, in show business, to meet someone like Larry, and then he'd make, he'd make one of those sounds, and then in with it, just say, you know, I beg your pardon. At any rate, to meet someone like Larry, who's such a good craftsman, and to, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, and to meet someone who's not only a terrific comedian, he kept talking and kept complimenting me, and folks, he made a sound, he made like, like well, like his bowel evacuating every 15 seconds, and... He spoke, and then he would apologize for it. He'd always say, I beg your pardon. But, you know, it's such a treat to meet Larry. And he would keep going on. And he sounded, he was a great actor, God bless him, as you know. He was a really good actor. So when he was playing it nice and slim and small, he could really sell it to you. And my folks, who have great senses of humor, and I think I have a pretty good sense of humor, too, as he's making these sounds... That you know, and apologizing for them, it sounded like exactly what it was. This guy has a bowel problem. This guy has uh, something that you know he doesn't want to have, and he's apologizing for it as he just talks to us. 
Folks, he went on and on and on, and I mean on and on. And after about a minute or two, that's a long time. Two minutes is a very long time. And after about two minutes, and he doesn't stop. He keeps going. But my folks and I started to laugh. You know, you don't want to laugh, but he does such great, well, differences in sound. He just, he would do, and it sounded exactly right. It sounded real. And he would keep, and then keep apologizing. I'm so sorry. At any rate, to meet someone like Larry, and he keeps going on and on, and then our little chuckles turned into laughs, and he doesn't stop. And he doesn't break character either. He's still the Secretary of State, and he's talking seriously about show business or whatever the heck it is, and he's using this thing in his hand endlessly. He doesn't stop. And we start to chuckle, then we start to laugh, then we start to holding each other up. We're laughing so hard because you just do. And I mean, we were shaking, the three of us, my parents and me, shaking. We're laughing so hard and holding on to each other so we don't fall. That's how funny it was. And this guy doesn't stop. Nielsen doesn't stop. And at one point, I put my hand on his arm, you know, by way of saying, I was laughing so hard. It was just by way of saying, I'm begging you, please, whatever you're doing, stop it. And he did. Folks, this was after. I'm telling you, this had to be a solid five, six minutes, which is a long time. And we were crying. Tears were coming down our faces. We were laughing so hard. And then he said, he he smiled and started laughing too. And he said, you know, I always carry this thing with me. I love this. It's my favorite thing in the world to do. And he showed it to us. And I said, how do you like that? Get a load of this guy. It's not enough that he's such a great actor and a great star and a what a great comedic actor. Good Lord. And he's, well, the last 20 years of his life, 25 years, more, 30 years, making all these wonderful movies that were so good, still are good today. They're great today to watch. So in any case, I'm telling you, Gary Ryan... In answer to your question, if beans really are a musical fruit, how come you never hear about anyone being a virtuoso? Gary, I'm here to tell you, I know too, Leslie Nielsen and my father. And no one, though, as much as I love my dad still, my parents have passed on, but as I love him still so much, and he could do so much but not like Leslie Nielsen. Plus, my father's were real. I mean, that was his body living and telling you about it. And uh, But Leslie Nielsen, and I found out subsequently, every movie set, every TV set he was on, people got to know that, and no one could stop laughing. I don't care what you... If you think out there, well, I wouldn't laugh at that. I don't think that's so funny. I think that's a little rude. I think that just breaks up whatever conversation we're having. Folks, believe me. Please believe me. You would be doing the same thing my parents and I were doing. You would chuckle, then laugh, then howl, and then just shake, holding your friends and you up so you don't fall and hit the floor. 
That's how much you would be laughing. Boy, think of that next time you see Leslie Nielsen in one of those great parts where he was so wonderful. But, yeah, if there was one virtuoso, Gary, it was Nielsen. And I'm sure glad it was. And that leads me, actually, speaking of Jennifer Allen getting a Macintosh apple, Colonel Jeff came in with three apples today. And I was supposed to bring another Macintosh, and we were going to compare and contrast. And I, it's a harmless thing, really. I forgot completely. But it's not, maybe it's not harmless, but Colonel Jeff brought in three Three apples that he got, one called Wine Sap, one called Sundowner, and one called Cameo. And we cut those up on our little apple break after we talk about, well, the anecdote and things I'm going to talk about for the second half of the show and things that, well, I'm just really looking forward to. And that's when we take our apple break and... Colonel Jeff got out his switchblade. Well, what do you call that thing? Not a switch. It is a switchblade, yeah. And uh, he flicks that button. It goes, well, it's a switchblade. It opens right up, and he wipes it off and cleans it up. Well, wipes it off. And then he cut those three apples up, and for interesting, and then Adam Carolla came in, and he had a piece of apple. He said, well, I like this one. And Dr. Chris, of course, the same thing. Well, I like this one. This one it tastes like this. This one's a little tart. And Colonel Jeff and I both agreed uh, that uh, the wine sap was the best. It tasted sort of like an apple might just taste off a tree in your backyard. And uh, on the days, going back to the days, I guess, when you still used to pick apples off trees in your backyard and not go to big supermarkets for them, or wonder where the Macintosh were. But we liked the wine sap best. They were three very different and very good apples. The Sundowner was a little hard, a little sweet, we thought, right? And the Cameo was it was sort of like a it was sort of like a Twilight Zone apple because it looked great. It was big, it cut just fine, the texture was terrific. It was just the right temperature. Everything about it was perfect, except that it had zero flavor. And I mean zero. It was like a Twilight Zone apple. It was like, well, you wake up and you're in a home somewhere. but It's not your home. You think, well, I guess I'm okay. I'm in a home. But you've been kidnapped by aliens, and they made something like in a museum to look like one of your homes, one of our Earth homes. And then they open the curtains in the in the living room, and there are all the alien beings just looking at you in the house that they think you're supposed to live in. But, folks, we had uh, a great apple break, and I am here to say again to you, well, thank you, Jennifer, for getting a Macintosh at a Ralph's that's just like mine. And, folks... Please write to us on our Facebook, on our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. And write to LarryMillerPodcast.com and tell me something about Macintosh apples. Is there is there a Bill Macintosh? 
Where did they start? And where do you get them? Do you get them? Can you get them? Are you cut off like me? You know, with Thanksgiving coming up and I'm going to pick up uh, my son, the Marine, at Camp Pendleton and pick up one of his platoon mates there and drive him home to Los Angeles, the friend, and uh, then take my son home. So I want to have a few Macintosh there for him because he loves them too. Please, folks, write to us on the website and tell me something about Macintosh. You love them. You hate them. You see them all the time. You can't see them all the time. You know everything about them. They were they were first planted by Johnny Appleseed, not Johnny Appleseed. Tell us something. I want to know. And, well, next week, I'll bring back a couple more of those Macintosh, and we'll compare and contrast to whatever Colonel Jeff brings in. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. The greatest company in the world because Amazon, folks, remember, gives you a chance to do something no one else does. Whatever you want, whatever you can think of, whatever you imagine, you can ask them for, and they'll send it to you. Now, that's kind of amazing right there. And then the third part that's really something is whatever you ask for, they send us here, Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, and me, they send us all a percentage of whatever you order. Now, I think that's pretty good. I think that leaves everyone in a business transaction happy. You get what you want, they get to send it to you, and they give us a percentage of what it is. So... Remember, Amazon. Go to Amazon by going to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, and finding our banner that says Amazon, clicking our banner that says Amazon, and then going to take a nap because we will take you there. That's right. Dr. Chris, Colonel Jeff, and I could be the middle of the night. We will wake up, call each other, and say, let's meet at the studio in five minutes. And we go to the studio. could be the middle of the night. And and we'll we'll take you to Amazon. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Still the company with the name that's most fun to say, PayPal. And you know what? They make you feel great. You feel like you're really supporting so many people when you go to PayPal. And it's like the greatest charity in the world. And especially so because what I suggest is that you go to your favorite bar, the one you like the best. You go there at 2 or 3 in the afternoon when no one's in there. It's completely empty. No one's eating. No one's drinking. And it's just the bartender with his foot up on the speed rack doing a crossword puzzle. And you walk over and he looks up and you say, how much do you charge for a drink? And when he tells you, you take that number, multiply it by 3, and send it to us, send it to us here at the show. And that will be enough for Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, and me to get a drink at your bar or any other. And remember, that's the money we put towards our next big fancy fried chicken dinner, which you will know about when it happens. Which brings me to the favorite part of the show for me, the joke of the week. That's right. And that's right. And there's a reason Dr. Chris is not playing the theme song on it, by the way, because, pardon me, for the first time, Colonel Jeff and I could not find a joke 
either on our heads, in our heads, or on the Internet could not find a joke that was worthy of you, worthy of us, something I wanted to tell. And so you know what? Number one, I'm going to go to news sources next week, and so is Colonel Jeff, and, well, we'll get some great jokes. But please do that also on our website. Write in a joke you like and join this loop with us, okay? And that's why, uh, well, you know, Colonel Jeff and I looked at, uh, well, tapes of, must have been seven, eight jokes, more, ten. And you know what? Good people sent them in and good people performed them, but they just weren't that good, the jokes. People were great, and they looked like they could tell a good joke, too. So please... Write us in your jokes, your favorite joke or one that you just heard, and you'll hear it on the air. Pardon me. I've got another sneeze that I'm just pushing back. And at any rate, that brings us to my second favorite part of the show this week. Yes, it's the Poetry Corner. Bet that guy coughing knows a good joke. Nothing like a string quartet to make you think of something funny. And the poetry corner is just as important as a great joke. A good poem, long, short, anything at all, written by a great poet, makes us think and listen and hear about parts of life we just never thought of in the way the poet did. And this is by Christopher Marlowe, the, oh, the great English poet and essayist and playwright, too. And he was born just two months before William Shakespeare. And, uh, oh, he achieved a lot. Died very young at age 29, but he was already very famous all throughout England and thought to be and known to be involved in lots of intrigue and in with the crown and in too well, you know, uh, saving England and going forth before the Spanish Inquisition attacked, which was correct, 1588. And at any rate, this is by Christopher Marlowe, and Colonel Jeff and I both liked it. Here we go. It lies not in our power to love or hate, for will in us is overruled by fate. When two are stripped long ere the course begin, we wish that one should love, the other win. And one especially do we effect of two gold ingots, like in each respect. The reason no man knows, let it suffice, what we behold is censured by our eyes. Where both deliberate, the love is slight. Who ever loved that loved not at first sight? Isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? In fact, the name of the poem is Who Ever Loved That Loved Not at First Sight. 
I think that's a beautiful line and a beautiful sentiment. And the reason I didn't tell you the name of the poem before reading it was I said to the colonel, you know, when we found this, I said, I think that's one of those where the name of the poem kind of gives it away or gives away the best line in the poem. And he said, yeah, sometimes with these poems you get the feeling they didn't even have a name until an editor somewhere just said, two or three hundred years after it was written, the editor just said, well, I'll pick one of the lines from it and we'll just make that the title. In any case, it's a good title and a good poem by Christopher Marlowe. Whoever loved that loved not at first sight. And that brings us to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, the triple M, three M, the magic movie moment. My favorite piano note. Da, 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 bum, bum, bah. And it sounds like something my dad might have done. In any case, the 3M, the triple M, something that's also so magical, a part of a movie you love, a part of a movie you know so well, one scene, one acting job, one line, one shot of, of, of a sunset, anything at all. And uh, it could be comedy, could be drama, but it means something to you. You love seeing it every time you see that movie again. It doesn't matter if you've seen it 30 times. Each time you see it again, you look forward to that moment, to that magic movie moment. And this one happened for me last night. Something I saw where you forget how good it is. And I saw it again. I was in bed. It's a great place to be when you're just, wow, anything on the TV. Frankly, you know what? There's uh, there's no gain saying this, whatever that means. But you know what? I was watching this, and I turned this on. It was just starting The Wizard of Oz. That's right. The Wizard of Oz from 1939, directed by Victor Fleming and... Boy, folks, of course, the cast is just amazing. You know Judy Garland, so many folks in this. Burt Lahr, Jack Haley, Ray Bolger, and they were the three friends of hers, not only on her farm before she goes over the rainbow there, but afterwards, well, she finds them in the forest of Oz there on the way to the city just to meet the wizard. And holy mackerel. Margaret Hamilton was so great. She played Miss Gulch in the beginning, and she plays, well, the Wicked Witch of the West. They're all so good. And, uh, well, the great Frank Morgan, by the way, is in this. He was in so many things. He was so popular. And uh, you'd recognize him the second you see him, but at the time, in the 30s and 40s in America, and the 20s too, I believe, he was hugely popular, a star on Broadway, in film, in everything he did. And, well, and in this, in The Wizard of Oz, Frank Morgan plays Professor Marvel in the beginning, and he is, of course, The Wizard of Oz. And, oh, just to mention these great names, Clara Blandick, Charlie Grapewin, who play, though that's Auntie M and Uncle Henry, and Billy Burke, who was, well, 
the beautiful witch of the north, who was the good witch, and uh, so many others, and so many munchkins. A great, great movie. I can't tell you enough. It's If it's been a while since you've seen The Wizard of Oz, see it again. Sit down and see it. Sit up in your bed and watch it and get yourself, well, a big cold soda over a lot of ice and just enjoy The Wizard of Oz. Folks, it's so good and so satisfying. And there's a great lesson it teaches, by the way, that, folks, in the first 15 minutes, 15, no, I'm sorry, 16 minutes, and I couldn't believe this, it's the way movies were made in that era. This was 1939, 16 minutes. And what happens in the first 16 minutes? Everything that leads up to her going over the rainbow and opening the door to that house, and she's in Oz, she's in Munchkinland, and the whole world is now color. And, folks, 16 minutes would takes her running with the dog back home, and they think maybe, oh, maybe a tornado's coming. And she's running, and she's afraid because Elvira Gulch, played by Margaret Hamilton, is going to come because she's so mad at Toto, and she wants to take Toto from them, and she wants to kill Toto. And she's so good as an actress, and, oh, Clara Blandick, who plays uh, Auntie M, is so good at being mad at her. Everything that happens, she goes to meet Professor Marvel, she tries to run away, she comes back home, and then she sings. Folks, this is only about eight, nine minutes into the movie, that's where she sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which is one of the greatest songs ever written. I think Harold Arlen wrote the music to that. I'm sorry, I can't remember the lyricist's name. Maybe I'll get it for you next week. But you know what, folks? That song is so good. And here's the lesson I learned last night about storytelling, about the way movies and television and all storytelling forms work. They put so much into that. When she sings, well, somewhere over the rainbow, she doesn't overact it. Nothing is overacted in this movie. Every moment that you remember for being huge and almost almost cartoonish isn't. It's so real, so well done, and each actor does it beautifully. And I'm telling you, when she sings that song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow and hugs the dog in the middle of it, and she's still singing. The way she acts, God bless her, that Judy Garland, I'm telling you, is so great. Well, of course, that was 1939, and she had such a long career. Not too long, though. And, uh, well, she she went through the ringer, and is someone we could all love, even if you didn't know her well. Get to know her well from this movie, And here's the magic movie moment for me. First of all, the film, no kidding, is loaded with them. So many moments that are so dear to me and to you and will be. Watch it again. But folks, I'm telling you, at the very end, where we're as surprised as she is, as Judy is, when she leaves Oz by clicking her heels together three times, and as Glenda, 
the good witch tells her, just think now, close your eyes and think, there's no place like home. And it does, it takes her back. How was she back? Was it a dream? Was she there for real? Well, I think it was real. But either way, she sits up in bed and Auntie Yam and Uncle Henry are there. And then the three fellas come in from the farm there. And she's in such a real way. She tells them, oh, and you were there too. I saw so much. And then Frank Morgan, Professor Marvel, comes right to the window and says, well, I heard your 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 niece came back. and Oh, there she is. Hello. Hello there. And then she says hi to him. Everything seems, folks, it's so right. And they believe, she said, don't you believe? Do you believe me? And they all say, including uh, Frank Morgan, says, of course we do. And Auntie M says, of course we do. And they do. They believe her. And she says, well, Auntie M, I'll tell you. And this is leading up to, it's such a beautiful scene when she just says, no matter what happens in the future, no matter what happens that makes me scared, no matter what happens that, oh, where something, the wind blows, no matter what happens, I'll always remember. And she says, it's the last line of the movie. She says, I'll always remember there's no place like home. And folks, that may sound like simple writing to you. It may sound like something that doesn't really mean that much. But I'm telling you, after that whole story and everything that this wonderful girl has been through, and folks, when she says, when she looks at her Auntie M and just says that with such honesty, such 1939 American honesty, and she says, I'll always remember there's no place like home. Well, let me just tell you, hers weren't the only eyes that were filled at that point. Mine were, too. They were a lot in this movie for a lot of the portions that are so moving and have so much love in them and so much learning and so much hope and faith. It's really wonderful. But at the end, that was a magic movie movie moment for me. I'll always remember there's no place like home. Please see that movie again if it's been a long time. See how good they all are and how good it is. Boy, folks, The Wizard of Oz. See it and, yes, let us know. Write to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, and say the truth. Larry, I just saw that movie again, and by God, if you weren't right, And I'm glad I had a chance to pass that along to you. And that actually leads us perfectly to what I wanted to talk about, which is, well, how grateful was Dorothy Gale, that's Judy Garland's name in the movie, how grateful was she when she met these wonderful people along the way and had a chance to come home again? She survived the mission she had to accomplish She killed the Wicked Witch of the West. And, oh boy, she was so, she was in love. They loved her, the friends she met in the movie. And the wizard was such a good man and such a character. Well, just like Frank Morgan was as Professor Marble. But you know something, folks? 
when how much she had, how happy she was to get home is something we all think about, we all should think about, we all really don't think about it, when we come up to Thanksgiving. That's right, Thanksgiving again. And we all, well, we all usually use the word again in our minds. Oh, here we go again with Thanksgiving. Do we have to do this again? And you know what, folks? We forget the start of Thanksgiving. We forget what it means and what it can be for us today. Now it's true it's not, well, what would that have been, 1620, 1621, when the pilgrims have come over on the Mayflower and they had the first Thanksgiving with the Indians there who had plenty of food for them. And But we have something today we just don't think about much anymore. The prep time, what we do in our families, in our homes, to make a Thanksgiving. Sometimes if you're, well, if you're married and you have kids, sometimes you just do it for the family. But I think these days especially, if you're single and you live alone, I think all of us really attach to someone else's Thanksgiving. You and I both know what it's like to be at a Thanksgiving where there are 8 or 11 or 14 people or more. This year, I think, let's see, I went through this before. It gets up to, we're going to have about 16 people at our Thanksgiving. That's our family and our kids and my wife, boy, is a good cook. She's a, she's a real chef, and she's putting together some wonderful stuff. And uh, on that day, here's a blessing. My oldest son, as you know, as I've told you before, is a Marine, and he is now stationed at Camp Pendleton, and he's in the middle of some very intense infantry, infantry training, and he got off for Thanksgiving. They uh, try to get a lot of the fellas off there, and where they can go to a Thanksgiving, and I get to pick him up. I get to drive down there on Thanksgiving Day, pick him up at 8 in the morning, and that's that'll be a bit of a long ride, but it's, it's a fine ride. And I'll leave the house about, oh, 5.30, quarter to 6, something like that. And plus one of the fellas in his platoon is, uh, we're going to drive home to downtown Los Angeles. He needed a lift to get back to his family. And uh, my wife said to him, said to our son, well, if your friend needs a place to go to Thanksgiving, to bring him along here, to bring him to our house. And our son said, well, I can't do that. They have to be prepared or they have to be okayed to go wherever they're going. And he said, in fact, they have a program they've had for many years at the base there, which is all the Marines who can't get home because, remember, well, a lot of them are from, well... Louisiana or Montana or New York or anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world, really, I guess. And he said a lot of them can't get home, and they have a program where families in the San Diego area have already been cleared, and they already invite them to their homes and let them be part of their Thanksgivings. And he said, in fact, everyone knows the stories. A lot of these guys, a lot of these Marines were have been picked up in limousines, and they get gifts like a Rolex watch. And, well, 
that's something you hear about on a Marine base for quite a while. And he said, so that won't happen this year. But can you imagine how nice that'll be to drive back to Los Angeles from Camp Pendleton with two Marines in uniform? And that'll be great when we stop for coffee or for some, uh, well, maybe an Egg McMuffin somewhere along the way. And uh, when we stop and the three of us walked into, well, walk into a coffee shop or a McDonald's with two Marines in uniform, well, that's something that'll be noticed in in a good way, in the best way. And uh, in any case, that's nice. And my wife, God bless her, is going to be cooking and putting together the whole time because we have, well, a bunch of people coming over, as I said. She's done a lot of shopping and cooking and pre-cooking and prep work the last four or five days. Boy, it's a lot of things that go into this. She's made, yes, she's gotten things. She bought things that I've never seen before, that you've never seen before, that no one's ever seen before. Celery root. You ever seen a celery root? And Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris are both shaking their heads. No. What is a celery root? Well, it's the root of the celery. But you know what? You know how attractive celery is? It's nice. It's green. It's crisp. Well, the root is not the same. It doesn't look that good. You wouldn't want to eat a celery root. But my wife is doing What's she doing with it? I don't know. Uh, you, you got me, folks. But she's making something good with it. She has so many... Oh, so many foods she's gotten as a prep. And I have decided this year, I have decided, and it's the first time I've ever done this, no matter what else happens, I'm going to get it, in fact, on the way home, on the ride home from the show today. I want a can of Ocean Spray Cranberry Sauce. That's right. The jellied one in a cylinder where you open the can, you kind of... Shake it gently, it comes out onto uh, a medium-sized plate, and it makes a sound of blah, blah. You know, it comes out there, and it's got those circular can marks on it. That's what I want. I know I, my wife's friends are going to come, and they all make good things, and I think both of them are going to come with their own homemade cranberry sauce, which is fine. It's great. It's fun. It's dandy. I'm glad they do. I love them, and I'm glad they put the work into something like that. But between you and me and the other billion people listening, I have no interest in homemade cranberry sauce. I I, I have none. I, I don't care. As soon as you put... I, I have a pretty good rule. As soon as you see walnuts and, well, uh, and cranberries and wasabi in a dish, you know what? I, I don't I don't need it. I like the simple things. To me, a Thanksgiving is right up the middle. Very basic. Turkey, done. Stuffing, done. Mashed potatoes, done. Bread, done. And you know what? That's it. Hello and goodbye. That's a Thanksgiving. I don't need all the other things we've all made for years. Number one. I don't want to see any salad or vegetables at this meal. Every other day of the year, you and I all eat salad and vegetables. And I don't want it on Thanksgiving. Turkey, stuffing, potatoes, bread, that's it. Now, that's a day, Thanksgiving is a day, remember, 
when the best thing you can do is eat early, get everyone coming to the house wherever you are. Everyone should be coming at 1 or 2 in the afternoon. And then you make a drink for everybody, and a drink means just get a bottle of whiskey. That's a drink. This is not a day for daiquiris or any kind of mixed mixed drink. You get a bottle of whiskey, maybe some some Johnny Walker scotch, but a, a big size bottle, a medium size, not just a regular bottle, a medium size, a big a big bottle, and you pour everyone whiskey. You drink a couple of big slugs of whiskey, just a couple, like eleven. But you have that's what you have. That's what a drink is, and you have some of that. You can have appetizers, but why bother? Stop it. We all eat appetizers every day again for the rest of our lives. This is Thanksgiving. Get everyone there at two. Get them two or three big stiff drinks that they've had by 2.40. And then, right then, serve your meal at 2.40. Have it come out there, and I mean everything. The way I described it, and everyone is really hungry then, they just have a little breakfast. You know, tell them that. It's like we're all children. Tell them, just have a little breakfast. Don't eat any lunch. Don't bring anything in the car for the trip. Okay? And then you serve that. I'm going to carve up that turkey, and it'll know as soon as it sees me coming at it with that knife and that fork, it'll know it's seen better days. It'll know it doesn't have a chance. And that's the way it should be. It should be like that Norman Rockwell painting that I love that's back on our website now, and it's just great. But if you notice in that great Norman Rockwell painting about Thanksgiving when it looks like the family loves each other and Grandma and Grandpa are at the head of the table and Grandpa has the carving knife and the carving knife fork in his hands and he's smiling and he's ready to go at it and... I always imp- I'm always impressed by this, by the way. If you notice, it's Grandma who just brought the turkey to the table. She's the one who takes it out of the oven and puts it on the platter and carries the platter with the turkey to the table. He doesn't do it. Uncle Lou doesn't do it. None of the boys do it. None of the men do it. Grandma does it. But she's putting it down, and she's smiling, too. And, well, folks, if you notice on their table, though, the 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 turkey's going to be carved, but there's a couple of things on the table. Not much, really. There's one circular or oval-shaped glass bowl has some celery and olives in it, but just a couple of pieces of celery and just a couple of olives. You may not want those anyway. I don't need them again on Thanksgiving, but on that day, we should be doing it like Grandma and Grandpa's Thanksgiving. Stuffing, gravy, mashed potatoes... Turkey, bread, goodbye, that's it. No salad, no vegetables. And, which brings me to the green bean casserole. You all know what the green bean casserole is. You all had it as children. Everyone, in a way, looked forward to it every year at every house, your house and my house, and we looked forward to it every year which was kind of a mystery because it's terrible. No one likes It's not terrible. It's just a step shy of terrible. The green bean casserole, that's green beans 
and it's mixed in with, well, an onion soup, a creamed onion soup. Could be anything. Could be Campbell's creamed onion soup. These are all fine things. It's fine with me. And then on top go the uh, onion rings. Not the big ones from uh, Hamburger Place, but the little, uh, little crispy onion rings, the very, very, very thin ones. And you can mash those up and just sprinkle them all, get a thick coating of it on top, and that's your green bean casserole. Now, just by describing it that way, it sounds terrific. It sounds pretty good. Well, it sounds like something that could be a tradition in every family, yours and mine, on Thanksgiving. But not on Thanksgiving, any other day. The day before Thanksgiving, terrific. The day after Thanksgiving, fabulous. That's what I want, that. Not on Thanksgiving. Now, we'll have that on Thanksgiving, but nothing on the side. That's that's my big thing. I don't need anything on the side on Thanksgiving. Again, turkey, stuffing, gravy, mashed potatoes, bread, done. And, by the way, once again, for the drinks, remember, you just have a couple or a few, but you don't need a drink at the table as you go to work on all that food. You really don't. So that's the end of the whiskey. And I don't think Thanksgiving is a day. You don't want a daiquiri. You don't want wine. These are not, This is not a day for these kinds of drinks. Someone once brought champagne to uh, one of our Thanksgivings. When, uh, when I was a kid, in fact, brought champagne to our house. And uh, I'll never forget, they walked in with that big bottle of champagne and uh, everyone, everyone, that includes grandparents, everyone looked at them and looked at the champagne and said, what in the world are you doing? That's just not a champagne kind of day. They want to say the same thing. Look, put the champagne down. It's good to see you. Give everyone a kiss and get yourself a glass of whiskey. That's it. Done. So, you know what, though? That that kind of simplicity, I want to underline now, has a lot to do with stuffing. Stuffing should be just as simple. Stuffing is bread, onions, celery. That's it. Again, nothing, no walnuts, no cranberries, no wasabi, no kimchi. As Colonel Jeff pointed out, it's apparently the cultural law now that everyone's dinner, everyone's fancy dinner that they make in the house has to have kimchi in it. I don't know why. You don't know why. Colonel Jeff doesn't know why. Dr. Chris doesn't know why. But you don't need it. Stuffing, bread, onions, celery, that's it. The best stuffing in the world should be somewhere between handmade and stovetop stuffing. Stovetop stuffing is way better than anything with wasabi and kimchi in it. Now, you may say, no, I make a great stuffing with all those things in it. No, you don't. You may make a great, again, the day before, Wednesday, have it then, Friday, then, not for Thanksgiving. Very basic you don't need, and, and this turkey we lined with a special kind of spicy uh, chili. No, don't do that. Make the turkey. Make the turkey the way the Indians and Captain John Smith made it. You put the turkey in there. You clean it up. You put some, whatever they put on the covering on it, just some water. Do you put any, any salt or pepper on it? Fine, if you want to, but you really don't need it. 
Just cook that turkey, get it nice and brown skin, and then bring it to me to carve. But boy, folks, the simpler, the better. Whiskey, maybe beer, if you really want to have one. And you know what? What you, The main thing you want at Thanksgiving dinner is you have at 2.40, from 2.40 to 3.40, you all have a great meal. You really, you don't eat too much, but you eat a good amount, a lot. And you know what? You make a plate that's piled up and... Oh, sure, we'll all have a couple of little things on the side. My mom, God bless her, used to make a great, well, yam with marshmallows on top. And I know there's some controversy about that. Oh, you don't put the marshmallows on. Oh, it can't be anything without marshmallows. You know what? My mom made it great. It was gorgeous. She took it out, and I looked forward to it every year and never really liked it. I always had some, but just a little, Just it was okay. We'll have one of those. I don't know whether my wife's going to do it or someone's going to bring it. They've uh, they've all taken care of that. And all I know is I'm going to get that cranberry sauce in a can and take it out like a cylinder and let it sit there. Colonel Jeff said, you know, the way I like to do that is you take the cylinder once, on, once it's on the plate and you cut it in half, then you cut each of those halves in half, and then you cut each of those quarters into triangular slices. Right? That describes it fairly. He ain't giving me the hand movement. Ah, it's kind of close. But the point is, I said, no, you know what? I don't go for that. I go for you take it out of the can in the cylinder and leave it in the cylinder. I want to still see those circular marks on the side of it from the can. That's cranberry sauce to me. Seeing the circular marks, and that cranberry is still in a hunk about, what, four inches in diameter, something like that? And how do you cut it? You cut a slice. Cut yourself a slice, a half inch to an inch thick, and put that full circular lined slice on your plate. If you're really interested, you can put a little yam next to it and a little other stuff next to it. But to me, again... Just put the piece of turkey, a big hunk of stuffing, a big, a big ladle of stuffing, a slice of cranberry sauce, mashed potatoes. Folks, you're done. You're home. That's it. Wow. I don't know what you. It sounds pretty good to me. And then after that, you've had yes, a lot of food. You've had a ton of food. Yes, but you know what, folks? It's not a ton too much. And then. Then finally around 4 o'clock, 4.15, when the coffee comes out, oh, there'll be dessert, but you don't even need it then, do you? You don't need a slice of pie right then. You don't need a slice of pie and a cookie and some whipped cream about then. What you need is take that cup of coffee and go into the den. Colonel Jeff was reminding me of this. It's so interesting. The, the meal always divides into all the men go into the den to watch TV, and all the women go into the kitchen to, well, help carry things in there and talk about how much they realize they now hate their men. And as Colonel Jeff said, sometimes he would wander into the kitchen 
to get another soda from the fridge. And neither group understood that. I remember that from being a kid, that you walk in there. If a, if a little boy, nine years old, walks into the kitchen where the women are talking, they all look at him and they say, what, what are you doing here? And all the men do the same thing. They say, hey, where's Jeff? Where's Larry? Did they go into the kitchen? And somebody, again, Uncle Lou or Uncle Bob or someone will come into the kitchen and say, hey, Larry, uh, come on back out here. There's something I want to ask you or something just kind of lame like that. And uh, the men want you back with them. The women don't need you with them. And you don't even know. Just take your soda and get out. And the same thing would always happen. Walk up to Uncle Bill and just say, uh, oh, yeah, what was it you wanted to ask me? And Uncle Bill will always say something, something delicate like, what are you, stupid? I didn't have anything to ask you. I wanted to get you out of the kitchen with the women. You don't want to be there. They don't want you there. Sit down with us. What do we do in the den? Oh, shut up. That's what we do. You sit down on the couch or in the Lazy Boy or the Barker Lounger or even a folding chair, and everyone does the same thing. Every man, of course, you know this. You unbutton the top of your pants and just take the zipper down just an inch or so and just give yourself some breathing room. You have a cup of coffee or a can of soda and you watch, oh, either a great old spy movie or some football. And uh, I like the things they put on on TV when they don't have a football game. I love the things good stations put on. That's the perfect time for a James Bond day to me. Show four or five James Bond movies in a row or four or five Clint Eastwood movies in a row. Boy, that's a great thing to do with the top button unbuttoned and a can of soda right there and sitting on a couch next to Grandpa or Uncle somebody. And you just sit there and then they go to sleep and start snoring. And you think, well, that's just stupid. They shouldn't be doing that. And then you realize, gee, I'm feeling a little tired myself. And you go to sleep and you start snoring. You know something, folks? That's the kind of Thanksgiving day it should be. You help make the food. You help clean up. You enjoy each other. You get mad at each other. But you always stay on the enjoyment side. And you know what? There is no better American holiday from the very beginning that has become our Thanksgiving today. I hope you know that, and I hope you remember it and relearn it before your Thanksgiving this year. I hope you go to a place with a lot of people you care about as family and friends, and I hope you have a good, simple meal, and I hope you unbutton the top of your pants, and we'll all continue to know the same things Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. If you like the show, tell a friend. And remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know, especially on Thanksgiving. We'll see you here next time. 